Someone said to me recently that I hadn't featured anyone yet from the IT training world or space. And that's kind of ironic because I began as a trainer in IT. I qualified as a Microsoft Certified Database Administrator, MCSE, which is the Microsoft Certified Systems Engineer qualification, ultimately to get my Microsoft Certified Trainer qualification. And I then went on to do a few more IT training qualifications. So I really was drawn to tech and I have to thank technology for bringing me into the training world. So today I'm happy to rectify this anomaly by having Cheryl Newman on the show. And Cheryl is principal and founder of Appetite for Business, which is a Microsoft 365 consultancy and training business based in Aberdeen in Scotland. Cheryl's business has won training contracts for multinational vendors across multiple countries. And she's won leader of the year in technology in Scotland back in 2018. And she's also been a finalist for the Great British Entrepreneur of the Year Award. But it's the story of Cheryl herself and how she's built this business that's really, really impressive. So today, three things. How Cheryl has spotted an opportunity in the training market. This is notes for you to take down and listen to, how she's built an award-winning business in just four years, and how she's tendered for and won substantial training contracts. This is episode 123 of the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hi, my name is Mark. I'm the host of the Training Business Podcast. It's my pleasure to welcome you to another episode of the show, as we have one every single Thursday. And you can find podcast episodes, 122 previous ones, on your podcast platform of choice. It could be Stitcher, it could be Spotify, it could be Apple. But wherever you look online, you more than likely will find episodes of the show. And the show itself is the show for freelance trainers, for training business owners, for training consultants, just like you and me all around the world. And for that reason, we have an episode every week where we've either guests on the show, which is the case today, or it's just you and me, where we go through a particular subject to help you with your training business. Can I ask you to subscribe right now, before we go any further, subscribe to the show, because this helps us to promote the show and to bring the attention or bring the show to the attention of other people just like you and me who need help. We need resources online, and this podcast is designed to help you to start to grow and to scale a profitable training business. Cheryl, hi. Welcome to the show. Hi there. Good afternoon. Thanks very much for inviting me, Mark. Thank you. So you run Appetite for Business based in Scotland. Um, tell me about the business, the number of employees you have, um, the kinds of businesses you help as clients and and the background to your training and consultancy? So um, Appetite for Business was founded just over four and a half years ago. Um, it was it was never my intention to set up a business. It came out of um, out of uh, an opportunity to um, to rescue a business really. Uh, Aberdeen was in the height of a, a very, very bad um, recession. It was very localized to the energy sector. And um, I shared a business with a business partner at the time. Um, it was very difficult. It was very difficult to gain new business. And so we made a decision between us that I would 
um, take over the business. I would buy him out. I would do a management buyout and um, take the business on myself. So as I said, it was never a, a plan, but it was just something that happened. And I just kind of seized the opportunity. I kind of seized the opportunity to um, to take something forward that we'd already created um, a, a really solid foundation for. So that's that's the reason it came. So yeah, four, four years, four and a half years ago, um, we've just taken on our 10th employee. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So it's been a very um, slow organic growth, but that's that's the kind of way I, I preferred it. And um, so we work across sector. We're very sector agnostic. We can support any businesses, but we obviously specialize in Microsoft 365. So we're quite a niche provider and we provide services right across the range. Um, but obviously end user adoption is one of our our core um, pillars of, of the business. Well, I'm delighted to have finally, uh, 123 episodes later, someone on the show who runs a, an <laughs> IT training business, which is ironic Yay. because actually that's how I began. I, I got into training through IT. I, um, some people listening to this may not know this, but I qualified as a, a MCDBA, which is the Microsoft Certified Database Administrator. Um, Microsoft Certified Systems Engineer, MCSC, and then of course, MCT Microsoft Certified Trainer, et cetera, et cetera. And then I did my CIWCI, which is like a certified internet webmaster and, and so on. It's, it's out of date now, the qualification, but um, I found that fascinating, helping people with tech. And I think even today, there are people who struggle with, that's one thing people struggle with a lot, isn't it? You know, the applications we have to use, whether it's Zoom, whether it's Teams, whether it's Slack, whether it's simple uh, stuff like, um, you know, Google Docs, or in your case, uh, Word, and, and so on. So SharePoint is something that people need training with. Why is SharePoint so so topical right now? I think with the whole COVID scenario, I think what happened in March last year, um, obviously, there wasn't a lot of perhaps planning. You know, COVID just happened so so quickly. Businesses were forced to work from home. They were forced to try and remediate and try and keep people connected. And I think um, in the midst of everything, I think there was just the expectation that with a collaborative tool that it was easy to use. And I think that's one of the biggest, biggest kind of misnomers because it's a business change tool. It is something quite different to how people um, worked previously with perhaps server-based documents and, and network shares. And um, trying to upskill someone to work in a, in a different way in an online environment and also in a best practice way. And I think that's the most important thing because a lot of people would have rushed with SharePoint to set up almost like replicating what you'd have on, on a network environment. And that is not the way that SharePoint is designed to be used. Um, and I think a lot of companies, because they're not providing training and support and showing people how to use things, then they're sort of really landing in problems now a year later where, where the setup hasn't been hasn't been done correctly and the investment in in the people hasn't been done correctly because I think one really big opportunity over this COVID scenario is that even if you have got staff on furlough you can train them and by using the time wisely to train and invest in them now is going to pay dividends when hopefully you can bring them back into the business and you can hit the ground running rather than having that massive upskill of rolling out new systems and then having staff who don't know how to use them correctly. And if we think of what you've achieved in that time frame, uh, you've achieved quite a bit in terms of awards. Um, so you won Leader of the Year in Technology in Scotland in 2018, a mere two years after founding the company. And I think you were finalist as one of the Great British Entrepreneurs of the Year award. Yes, that's right. <laughs> what else have you won in that time frame? Um, 
Don't so, be don't be shy. <laughs> it's quite a few things actually. Um, I well as a, as a business, we've won business of the year twice, two thousand and fourteen, and then two thousand and eighteen. Obviously, the first time was was my uh, previous previous business. Um, so yeah, greatest British entrepreneur and Scottish leader of the year, which was a, a complete shock to me. Um, I'm a small business, you know. I just do what I do. I love what I'm doing. Very passionate about what I do, which is obviously helping to support people and helping to support the larger organization. So it wasn't, I was up against, you know, the likes of uh, people from Amazon, for example. And I just thought, come on, how can a wee girl from Aberdeen win something like this? Um, but I think it's testament to the work that I've done, my team have done, and obviously the clients that that invest in us and, and trust us that, um, yeah, it was, it was uh, yeah, I'm still to this day a little bit shocked that that happened, to be quite honest. <laughs> so you're a Microsoft 365 consultancy and training business. Um, did you see yourself getting into tech and and helping people through training? What was the had you a vision? No, so my background is very very strange. Um, I actually studied languages at university, so I, I have a master's degree in German, which is great, not particularly useful. But um, and I but my actually if you if I can roll the story back a little bit, my um, my passion is always people. I'm, I'm very interested in people. I originally wanted to do journalism. Um, and then my dad took home a BBC computer. I don't know if you remember those. They were quite large. And I was really fascinated, not not by the coding aspect, but just basically how you could interact um, using using technology. But at school, at, at my time, very much tech was for boys. It was a coding um, tool. So there wasn't that breadth and depth that there is across business now. So I was pretty much dissuaded that it wasn't right for me and it wasn't something that I should pursue. So um when I graduated, I obviously went into a position and um, then from there I was approached to work for a large American IT provider. And I remember thinking, I don't know anything about technology. I, I don't know if this is for me, but from the minute I joined uh, that organization, it was just like a whole world had been opened up to me because here was the chance to meet so many people. There was all this new technology coming out. It was at the time when eBay, this was 1997, 1998, when eBay was just kind of born and we were doing a project with them and interfacing that into the energy organization that I worked with. And I was just hooked, absolutely hooked. Just the ability to reach out to people who are, you know, virtually so far away from you, like on the other side of the world and being able to create these connections and, and do all and work together so much more efficiently using technology. It was just wonderful. What about the training side of things? I mean, did you see yourself, where did you see yourself on this journey in terms of standing up in front of people or delivering training programs or even hiring people, which you've done as associates to train Microsoft products on your behalf? Um, as I say, I started doing a, a training role when I worked for an energy provider and I was on this collaborative team. And I think I trained over 10,000 people over a number of years, which is quite a phenomenal number. It's huge. Um, I'm quite shy. Um, normally, I'm quite shy. But for some reason, I don't know if it's because you're behind a screen and it's they can't really see you. You can allow your personality to kind of come through. But I absolutely just loved it. I just loved engaging with people. I loved being able to show them things that they might not have been able to find out for themselves and really just create a new world for them, a new opportunity for them. And I think sometimes people forget it's not just an opportunity for the organization to thrive. It's an, org it's an opportunity for the individual to thrive and to feel more confident about how they're about how they're performing their daily roles. And I think that for me was just so transformational. And I, and to be able to see that mind shift was, it just gave me so much pleasure. So yeah, it, that's how I started into training. And then it just, it just escalated from there. Um, just that ability to, to create, just help more people and help more businesses to do things in a, in a, 
in a different way. So when you're training, are you creating your own curricula or are you using Microsoft certified, you know, curriculum uh, for particular products or both? Is it a mixture of both? Well, now it's a, it's a mixture of both, to be honest. I think one thing previously, obviously things have changed quite a bit, but when we started the business, um, when you trained Microsoft curriculum, it was very regimented. It had to be delivered in a certain way. And unfortunately, businesses aren't like that. They're not one size fits all. So for us, it was all very much about um, spending time speaking to the organization, understanding how their people worked, how they needed to work, and then building a curriculum around that. So it really was that kind of just-in-time type of training. Uh, and it was something that would support the individual to do their roles. It would mean that they didn't have to be away from their desk for huge amounts of periods of time learning, but it was also very applicable as soon as they went back to their desk. So that for me was a very important element of, of, of training provision. And what did you do in your mind to validate the opportunity where you realized, you know what, it, it isn't just something I love to do, but it's something I can actually generate a business around. I, I can grow this. This is this thing's got legs. What did you what kind of thoughts, what was your thinking process? How did you validate that opportunity before you jumped into it? Well, do you know something, Mark? It was born out of necessity. So, you know, I, I started this business, there was no clients there. Um, so I had to find business. I had to find business to pay the bills. Um, so I just started speaking around my network that I'd worked with previously, trying to understand what systems they were rolling out, how they were doing it, and if they needed any support to put it in place. And that's literally how it started. It was born out of necessity and an absolute Word need. of mouth, yeah. Just word of mouth referral. Um, and and just just trying to get an opportunity and then take that opportunity and take it to the next client. And that's how it, it just snowballed from that point forward. A couple of episodes ago, well, more than a couple of episodes ago, I had someone on the show called Yota Trum, who might be listening to this. And she has a network helping female entrepreneurs in, in the tech world. And it's been quite successful in London. You've done the same or equivalent in Scotland with Girl Geek, which I, I love the name, by the way. And you're a co-founder of that network um, aimed at female business people um, in the IT digital space, computing space. Did that in any way help your profile and your business? Absolutely. Um, so Girl Geeks was born, it was really interesting. So Girl Geeks was born out of an idea we had and we we took it on through Appetite for Business about creating a, a network for females who worked in technology <clears throat> to come together and to network. And it wasn't around, I think you'll, you'll probably know yourself, uh, females network in a very different way. And because there was such a, a minority of us within business, I think the support structure that was needed was very, very different. So we set it up in Aberdeen where, meanwhile, my co-founder, um, Morna Sampson, who's a, an amazing um, business analyst, had set it up in Edinburgh. <clears throat> and then we decided to join forces together and pool our resources. So we kind of took over the whole, whole of Scotland and it just snowballed. I mean, we literally it was a not-for-profit we didn't have any money and we were able to attract people from the fbi from uh, one of the top female leaders from ibm to come and talk about their challenges and how they were able to overcome those as a female uh, who was i'm just curious who was it at ibm um it was jacqueline there's a lady called oh because i can't remember her surname which is really terrible but she was a phenomenal speaker and i think there's that that um that belief that as a female in business, you can have it all, you can have the kids, you can have the top role, but unfortunately you can't, something has to give all the time. And I think she inspired to, well, actually through the um, through the Gal Gates network, we actually inspired quite a number of individuals to really reconsider 
what they were doing out of life and what they wanted to do and and gave born to some new businesses as well because of it and it was just so um inspiring it was absolutely fantastic and that network's still going is it the network's still going it's something that i'm no longer involved in but it's still going it's very uh, prolific in central scotland so yeah it's 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 going from strength to strength yeah i recently spoke with uh, raki voria who's a director of global uh, sales at IBM. She's a, a writer on, on female empowerment, particularly in sales in the tech world. And um, I had a long chat with her, actually. And she writes, she contributes to Forbes magazine, but maybe she's someone, I don't know, who'd uh, speak at one of an event, um, if anyone's listening to this, thinking, because she was really, really, really uh, helpful and, and really passionate about the subject of getting more more women involved in sales, particularly in the tech world, which of course is a massive opportunity. Um, I think for a long time, sales has been dominated by language like crushing it and, and you know, that kind of aggressive language. But um, sales is, is far more um, introspective than that. We often think of salespeople as, you know, um, uh, extroverts, but that's not always the case. Because um, I, would, I would identify as an introvert, and it sounds like you would too, Cheryl. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I'm great in small numbers and large groups of people. I'm a bit like, whoa. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, um, and I think you're right. I think females, um, by the way, it was Jacqueline Davies. She's she's the global managing director at IBM now. She's a phenomenal lady. Um, I think historically the IT industry has always been classed as pale, male and stale. And um, I think females bring a very different element. They bring a, a very different perspective to it, a, a real balance. I think, I think having both is very, very important, um, but they do bring a, a different balance, a different perspective, and they're quite nurturing women, most women. Um, and I think that's really nice, especially in a training industry, because you want to look after people, you want to give them a great experience, and you want to help them to, do, to be better about themselves. So I think those qualities have been very, um, very successful for myself and, and certainly for my colleagues. So you have a group of people who train on your behalf. What do you look for when you bring in associate trainers to your business to deal with work with your clients i think for me um people skills is the absolute key i think any skills can be trained so application skills can be trained but the ability to to talk to people to make them feel comfortable to make them feel confident to be able to assess when they're struggling and i think that's quite a skill to be able to look at someone and, and see you know, the panic on their face or their body language and be able to make them feel that there's no such thing as a stupid question. Um, and I think, and also not to, be, not to teach out of courseware books, that's a very outdated model and it's still, it's still quite prolific in, in our industry. I think you have to be able to be flexible and adaptable. I'll give you a really um, good example of that. We were working with a large energy organisation and we were tasked with delivering in the Ivory Coast um, it was an operational environment. We delivered in local language, but we'd also put together a program which we thought would be fit for purpose. However, landing on the site, there was so much crazy things going on and, uh, as I say, operational aspects. We had to very quickly be able to adapt and be flexible and deliver to what the client needed. And actually what the program that we'd originally thought was required wasn't actually suitable for that site. So we had to really think on our feet and deliver something completely different from what we planned. Uh, so I think that ability, adaptability and flexibility is absolutely key. Um, and that's something that's, that's, that's very, very important. I can recall um, a number of years ago when I was involved in a training contract for a, a, an airline in the Middle East. We Three of us won that contract and uh, we ended up hiring an associate who actually didn't know what he was talking about. 
And uh, we realized that um, we'd sent him there for three weeks and he was using the middle week to, to learn uh, the second course. When he arrived, he found out that they already received the first course and they said, can you deliver the second course? And he said, actually, I can't because I don't know it yet. So I received a, five, a call at five in the morning and I thought, who on earth is calling? And it was this, uh, our contact in the Middle East saying, your guy doesn't know his stuff. So there's always a danger, of course, in in hiring people to train on our behalf, particularly if you're listening to this and you're thinking of expanding, growing the training business and bringing in other people. Yeah, we've had the same. I've had two instances and, I, and I'll, I'll be quite honest with you. So one instance where we were doing some training for a client in the UK and um, I recruited a trainer through an agency. Now, I'm sure this is a number of years ago, um, but we did our checks. I probably, at that time, it was a really urgent requirement and I am very stringent about the checks I do put in place, but we had to deliver very quickly. So we um, we trusted that the agency had done their homework also. Um, had I checked that they, they said they'd validated the references. So uh, I'd done some of the checks, but unfortunately when they went on site, it was just a complete disaster. They, they didn't know the curriculum. They weren't able to adapt or be flexible um, and the client just asked for them to, to leave the site, which was horrendous. So for me, um, oh, it was awful. I, I remediated it right away and I actually flew. Um, I spoke to one of my clients and I was able to release one of my team and I flew them down at no charge and we delivered the whole curriculum for them um, to remediate because for me, you're only as good as your project and, and your reputation is everything in this industry. And one wrong mistake can, can really, can really damage you. I presume that was a quite a large contract then. It was quite a small contract, but it was very early in my days of, of running the business. So I was quite a novice, um, but I learned my lessons very fast and very quickly. But you have won recently large training contracts. I think one you mentioned when we talked before this call um, was or involves 20 countries, design and delivery. How do you win contracts of that size and nature? Because irrespective of whether someone listening to this is in, let's say, resilience training or management training, it still is a, a huge amount of work to go to market, to to win big names, to attract um, you know contracts of this size. What goes into producing a winning tender for a training contract of this size? So I'll tell you how the actually contract originated. It was really... It was a very uh, fortuitous opportunity. Um, obviously, as you know, I, I post quite a bit on LinkedIn. And um, I'd been part of a forum where someone had commented and um, I'd gone back with a different response. So, um, and it wasn't a challenging response. It was just a, a more correct response. And actually, the company who were tendering at the time had seen it. And um, they were... I think they were very appreciative of, of the honesty of my response and, and the kind of the things that I'd told the client to be looking out for when they were looking to source up for a training um, role for this training provision. So they contacted me directly and asked if we would be willing to tender for the opportunity. And I was like, oh, wow, this is, again, I see we were just a small team. I think it was three of us at this point. I was thinking, how can I take on something of that magnitude? But I thought, do you know what? I'm going to give it a go. So <laughs> I put together a response and um, yeah, we, we, we won it out of 10 of the, the large um, London training providers, some of the large global training providers, um, which was absolutely fantastic. I think the reason we won it, um, honesty, um, just being really honest about what could be delivered in the timeframe, um, what their budget could could provide for them, 
flexibility, the ability that we weren't going to charge them for every little change that was made. Um, we were able to scale up appropriately and we were able to um, surround ourselves with some phenomenal trainers who are still working with me today. And I trust implicitly that delivered how we wanted it to be delivered. And I think that's the reason we won the, we won that opportunity. Um, when we went to actually do a face-to-face -face presentation with them, uh, I asked them for any questions. They actually had none. And they said, because we basically answered every single question that they thought of in their tender <laughs> response, with, <laughs> which was which was after two two hours, which was quite quite which was fantastic but it's just being really thoughtful around the client thinking around their business thinking around what would best support their needs and not just putting together some boilerplate example that you would just send out to every client it's um is is that customer service and that personal uh, willingness to go the extra mile to support them and what are you planning for the future as we look into let's say three obviously with covid right now it's very hard to say what the future looks like but say 3 years from now all things being well, where would Appetite for Business be and how will you get there? Goodness me. Um, I'm hoping three years from now we may have, um, I'm hoping, I mean, I think my expectation is to grow the business to maybe around 30 or 40. Um, yeah, I never want to lose that personal connection with my clients. I don't want the business to be so big that we can't be adaptable and flexible. And I think that's a danger when you grow too big, you become just a machine. Um, for me, it's it's all about that personal service, about working closely with customers. So I think that's what would be my hope or expectation in three years' time that we we might be of that sort of size. But also, um, because of the, the changing nature of Microsoft three six five, it changes literally. There's about 180 updates every month, so it's an evolving tool. Really, it's, that many? Yeah, it's really exciting tool, and it's um, I'm really looking forward to to kind of the roadmap and the, some of the stuff that's coming along and how we can we can support our customers with that. So that's. That's my expectation. So no doubt there are people listening to this who are in IT or they use IT, as we all do regularly working from home these days, or, or WFB working from bed, wherever that location working is. Working from bed. Working from bed. <laughs> um, for people who are thinking of of providing training in the IT space, helping people with, with tech, um, or even some area derived from that, what would you say to people thinking of, of leaping into the training business or scaling a training business as you're doing right now, thinking of growing to... 30 to 40 people in three years' time? Know your subject matter. Um, I'll be honest, I've lost count of the number of trainers I've seen on LinkedIn asking for advice on the subject they say they're an expert in. Um, Such as what? I'm curious. What kinds of things? Microsoft 365, for example. I saw someone post the other day saying, can someone tell me this? And they their title was Microsoft 365 Expert Trainer. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear, oh, <laughs> yeah. dear. Yeah, and I just thought, really... Okay, that's that's not good. So I think I think being very clear about what it is that you want to offer as a training business, um, it's do you know it's really tough for trainers right now. It's really really tough, and um, I think if you come from from being in a traditional face to face environment and, and having to adapt to an online environment, that's been very challenging. Um, I think for a lot of people, so I think upskilling, learn how to manage um, classes online. It's a very, very different way from, from working face-to-face -face and you you haven't got that that kind of face-to-face um, -face engagement that, you know, the, the cues that you can learn from people. Um, so yeah, learning how to design and hold a training class online is absolutely key because that is going to be an integral part of, of, of the business going forward. This, this is not going to change. People are not, uh, now that they've adapted to it, they're enjoying it, they're seeing the benefits from it, and people aren't going to go back to, um, 
to just solely a face-to-face environment. Yeah, I think even Unilever said that recently. I think last week, Unilever, the giant international, um, uh, let's call them chemical products company, said that they don't foresee ever returning to full office environment. It'll be a hybrid model for years to come. Yes, it absolutely will. It'll be a hybrid model for for years to come. And um, that's absolutely that's absolutely key. So I think just just being aware of that, maybe even aligning yourself with organizations where you have the skill set and you're able to support them. Because I mean, I um, regularly work with associate trainers. We're always happy to hear from people who'd like to work with us. And we keep them within our, we keep them within our um, community. I am very loyal and I like having people around me that, um, that are passionate about what we do too. So yeah, absolutely. And if anyone's listening and wants to reach out, please do so. <laughs> so if people want to join Appetite for Business as an associate trainer or reach out to you, get involved, where would they start? What's the best way to contact you? LinkedIn, obviously. LinkedIn. Okay. LinkedIn, obviously, um, is a great one. Just just um, connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm always, I'm, I love meeting new people. Um, you know, I, in this industry, it's, it's good to surround yourself with people who've got better knowledge than yourselves. And um we're always learning. I'm always learning too. So yeah, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'd be delighted to connect and and, and, and and chat with you. Absolutely. And of course, appetiteforbusiness.co or is it .com? Appetiteforbusiness.com. Perfect. Okay. I'll include both those in the show notes to today's episode. Cheryl, many thanks for being our guest today on the show. You're very welcome. Thank you very much for the invitation. Thanks, Mark. My sincere thanks to Cheryl for being my guest today. And you can find out more about Cheryl by checking out the episode online. You can find the links there to Cheryl's LinkedIn profile. If you're interested in contacting Cheryl to become an associate trainer, one of her trainers delivering her programs, then she has welcomed you and would like you to get in touch. And of course, you can find her website, which is appetiteforbusiness.com. And again, those links will be in the show notes on trainingbusiness.com when the website finally goes live uh, in the next couple of weeks. It's been a work in progress, but it's been worth waiting for. And of course, thanks to you for your time today. It's I know there are many podcasts out there which you could listen to, but you've chosen to listen to this one. And for that, I'm very, very grateful. There are great ideas in your head right now for the kinds of episodes and guests you'd like to hear from. So please keep those coming. You can email me personally, mark at trainingbusiness.com. I read emails individually and respond personally. So if you have any ideas or critique about previous episodes or the kinds of content you'd like to hear, please mail me one more time, mark at trainingbusiness.com. Please subscribe to the podcast. You will find a fresh episode and all episodes on your podcast platform of choice, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and many, many more. Please subscribe and you'll be notified of episodes as they appear. Until next week, look after yourself. Bye for now. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.